What's up, Resonate? It's good to see you. Man, <laughs> I feel your energy in this space, and I trust that every campus is doing the same. Welcome if you're joining us today. Hey, um, before we start, I, I want to ask and invite you to close your eyes. Not if you're walking, but go ahead and close your eyes if you're sitting. And uh, close your eyes, do me a favor, and answer this question uh, with your eyes closed. Ready? Before I die, I want to blank. Before I die, I want to blank. Now, go ahead and open your eyes. Okay. Now, congratulations. You just made a bucket list. You know what a bucket list is? It's the things that you want to do before you kick the bucket. And um, this is the list that you create in your mind. A lot of you have dreams of actually vacationing somewhere, uh, going to a destination that you have not been to. Uh, most of my bucket list involves food. And I just want to eat, eat, eat until I die. And that's what I'm doing. And, um, and uh, so, so I want to ask you a question, though. What, what do you think Jesus' bucket list is? What do you think his bucket list was when he was here on earth? Have you ever thought about that? I'll tell you, he, he says it in John chapter 4, verse 34. He says, the food that I eat is to do the will of my father, who's given me a task for me to fulfill here on earth, is what he says. That his bucket list was to do the will of God. And so we're in this sermon series called Whatever It Takes, and today we're looking at Luke 19, where Jesus is almost to Jerusalem. This is very significant because if there was a journey that he is traveling on a train, this is the second stop to the very last stop, Jerusalem. In fact, if you look at the entire book of the Gospel of Luke, 32 times it says the word Jerusalem. And then Luke chapter 9, Jesus faces and he turns his face towards Jerusalem and never stops until he gets to this point. Why? Because something is going to happen in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, it's his father's business. And all of his people thought, oh, the father's business is this, that Jesus is going to go and overthrow Rome and they are, their influence and all the government. And he's going to place himself and usher him in a brand new messianic kingdom. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's somebody else. That's what they thought. But you and I know that he didn't do that. What his followers didn't know is that before Jesus could ever receive a royal crown, he had to go through a criminal's cross. Before he got the king's glory, he received the king's suffering. So right before he gets to Jerusalem, he turns back. It's the only opportunity to do so. And he basically says, I'm this king. And I'm going to do it in ways that you didn't anticipate. No, I'm not going to overthrow Rome. I'm going to be here and I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm, I'm, I'm going to anticipate that you serve me, that you are all about the king's business as I've been about the father's business. And when I come back, then I'm going to ask you to be a steward of everything that I've given you. And if you are faithful to me, then I will reward you handsomely. And if you are a poor steward, a squandering steward of the life that I've given you, then you will be judged accordingly. And he says all that in a parable that I think we're unfamiliar with. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you turn to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start reading uh, from verse 11 through 7, 27, and we're going to read uh, a parable called the parable of the 10 minus. 
And, and you know the close cousin of this, you know, in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Well, this is slightly different, and there's a reason you're going to discover why uh, you're unfamiliar with this as much as you are familiar with the other one. If you are one of our campuses and here in this campus, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? And then once again, I'll pray that the Holy Spirit preach a better sermon than the one that you'll hear from me today. Luke 19, verses 11 through 27, this is the word of the Lord. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Then the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another one came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they all said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas though. <laughs> I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one that who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. That is the word of the Lord for today. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, please have a seat. I, um, slaughter them before me. Uh, I, I've heard in your voice, not so much of a amen, but more like amen. <laughs> yeah, and it's rightly so. Now you realize why this passage is not as popular. Um, I'm going to preach this sermon in a very short time under three headings. Ready? The context. What is the context of this passage? Secondly, the calling. And third, the consequences. And Jesus gives all these three. If you're taking notes, here's the first context. Jesus wants us to be mindful of his return. He wants us to be mindful of the fact that he's going to come back. Would you read verse 11 as we start? It says, and they heard these things. Jesus proceeded to tell a terrible parable. Why? Why did he tell it? It says, because he was near to Jerusalem. And because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Now, remember, people thought that Jesus was going to usher in a messianic kingdom immediately. And so he tells this parable, therefore... A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Now, if you have not caught on yet, Jesus is actually talking about himself. 
He's writing himself into the story where he is leaving a home into a far country called Earth, and then he's going to go back and he's going to return. And when he returns, there's going to be a time between when his first coming and his second coming, and he's charging everyone to live faithfully, to be a good steward. And if you are a good steward, he will come back and rejoice over you and will reward you handsomely. And so he's going to return to bring about a new kingdom, to make all things new. And that's what the end times will be. Now, you realize that throughout history, uh, the church, in a strange way, almost like an over-fascination, maybe even a fetish, we've always had like this fascination for the end times, right? People talk about it all the time. In fact, uh, their favorite book in the Bible is what? Revelation, right? That's all they say. Pastor, could you preach from Revelation over and over again? They haven't read the Bible. They're just like, Revelation, 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 dragons, dragons, slay, slay. You know, that's all they want to know. What's the end times? What's the end times about? And they constantly write books about it. You realize that? They're thick books. They all look like romance novels, right? But big font, ugly drawings and ugly images and terrible covers. End times, end times. The same people Every four years, you will say the sitting president is the Antichrist, right? Reagan was Antichrist. Bush was, no, Clinton is, the, they're wrong. And so Obama is the Antichrist, you know? And then, you know, Trump is certainly the Antichrist. Uh, Biden, he can't be, he's sleeping. So it doesn't matter. Right? <laughs> so, hey, calm down. Calm down. That was my bad. I fed you, you animals. <laughs> bad me. And without rest, I mean, people constantly want to talk about when these things are going to take place. When, when, when. Here's a key principle that I want you to write down. Ready? In scripture, it's not a matter of when he comes back, but what we do until he comes back. Until he comes back. That's the point of scripture. It's not for us to guess when he's going to come back, but what we do until he comes back. And in fact, this is the emphasis here in the parable that he tells. Not only that, the emphasis in the entire New Testament. And you realize that that's a hard thing to do because uh, the disciples, they were also on the eschatology train and they had a hard time getting off, right? Remember Jesus dies and comes back and sees his disciples in Acts chapter one. The very first question they ask is, Jesus, you know, uh, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And do you remember what Jesus says in Acts 1.8? He says, none of your business. <laughs> and he says, this is your business though. Go be witness. Go be my witness all around the world. That's what he says. Listen, the reason why people love talking about the end times is because it's far more easier to speculate about the future than be on the mission for God. Oh, Yeah. It's far easier to sit around with your friends debating these things rather than bearing Jesus' name until he returns. So church, eschatology, which is the study of last things, can make us fanatical, but the certain return of Jesus should make us faithful. Faithful. Yeah, it should make us passionate. It should make us want to wake up in the morning saying, I have a life full of significance, direction, vision, meaning, and I want to pour everything to you, Jesus, because one day you'll come back and you will keep me accountable to everything that you have given me. And I just want to say everything was yours, Christ. 
because you have come and one day you'll come back ruling the world and you will take me with you and I will be in paradise forever and ever. And therefore, whatever we do here in this life matters. Everything. That's the context. Here's the calling. Jesus calls us to be faithful and to those who are, he'll give a reward. He will reward us who are faithful. Look at verse 13. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minus. And he said to them, engage in my business until I come back. Now, mind you, mina is three months wages. So he tells them to invest everything for the king that the king has given them. Now, this is a slightly different version of what you are familiar with in Matthew 25, right? The parable of the talents. Um, you're like, well, why, why did Matthew and Luke write differently? Did one of them get the details wrong? No, Jesus, remember, was a traveling preacher and he would meet different people and he told this sermon multiple times and probably changed the details and sometimes even the meaning according to who he was talking to in that context. And so here, Matthew writes differently, a different context, a different occasion, and Luke records something different as well. But in that story, in the parable of the talents, you realize, remember, uh, that the talents that the master gave were all different to the servants. To one, he gave five, and to the other, he gave two, and then to the other one, gave one. But here in Luke's version, notice that every servant gets a mina. Every single one got one mina. So the parable of the talents emphasizes in using your abilities and gifts. That was what it was meant for. In fact, it says that emphatically. While the emphasis here is not about your gifts, it's not about your abilities, but it's about your heart and faithfulness. It's about your faithfulness. In fact, you notice that what is commended here in verse 17, look with me. It says, well done, good servant, because you have been, say it out loud, faithful. faithful. Yes, faithful. So where we live, where we work, our abilities, our weekends, our time, our energy, our money, whatever it is, the Lord is saying, I've given you as to, for you to be a steward so that I want to see you actually spend it for my kingdom. We've all been given the same gospel, and Jesus is saying, hey, be faithful until I return because I'm going to come back. Now, verse 15, when he returned, Having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given money to be called to him, and he might know that he had, uh, what he had gained doing business. First came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. Now, notice that he calls everyone into account including every single person here and all of our campuses. He will keep you accountable one day. Do you know that in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says that each of us will appear before Christ and receive what we are due according to the work that we have done here on earth. So every one of us will be kept accountable. And so he calls the first servant in, and the one that he gave one mina, and he comes back with 10 minas more. And look at what he says. I love his language here. He says, Lord, your mina has made. Don't you love that? It's not like, look at what your servant did. Look at the game that he has. He's not saying about himself. He says, your mina, did, your mina made this. Your mina has power. 
and it's coming to my life. Do you realize what the mina is then? Remember every single, every believer, every servant had a mina? What that means is mina, I believe here, is representing the power of the gospel in us. Everybody got one. And he's saying, if you have this power in you, it will transform you. It is the power to revolutionize your life with joy and purpose so that you will spend all of your talent, time, and treasure for my glory. And when we do that, and he calls us to do that, it thrills the Father. It thrills Jesus. Do you see? It thrills him. Man, some of us grew up with parents that never showed a face. He's like, they're playing poker with us. Never smile. Never a good job. You realize our Lord is not like your dad. He is thrilled. He is thrilled. He says, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Oh my, this is so encouraging because truth be told, Our faithfulness is not often noticed by people, let alone rewarded by people. And so the reality of how nothing is hidden from Jesus, that he sees every single faithful work of your life, every single penny that you put into his ministry, every single effort, every single prayer, every single faithfulness, every single route that you went for the homeless ministry, whatever it is under his name, he's seen it all and he will give an account and he will actually reward you for your faithfulness and he will commend you with the kind word and he will reward you with 10 cities. Now, notice this, how disproportionate the reward is compared to what this guy invested Three minus is equivalent to three months' wages. So if we do a three months' wage average, Bay Area, $75,000 conservatively, that's $20,000. But look at what he gets back. He invests something that wasn't even his, just the Lord's, and then he gets back the influence of 10 cities, not towns, 10 cities, billions of dollars. And I just pause to say to the church, do you see how generous our Lord is? Do you see how kind he is? Even the second one comes back and says, I produce, I mean, your mind has produced five. And he says, well done. You will be over five cities. How incredibly generous is our king. Amen? Amen? He's incredibly generous. But now before we get to the third servant here, I want you to notice something that hardly is ever preached. Ever. I want you to get this. Because each servant gets the same mina, right? One same mina, but not everybody gets the same reward. There's a, a apportionment based on their work, their fruit. And we see it in scripture all the time. Like J.C. Ryle says it in commentary. Look at what he says. Our title to heaven is all of grace, but our degree of glory in heaven will be proportioned to our works. And what that means is there are many of us who think, oh, I don't have to do much. I just have to come to church and pray once in a while, like, you know, I, you know right before I eat. And, you know, I, all these other people are so faithful. They're giving so generous, sacrificially. They're serving. They're, they're, they're serving the church. They're serving the city. I'm like, oh, I don't have to do that. You know, I could take it easy, right? Because after all, we're going to the same place. I have a ticket. It's not what Scripture says. All throughout Scripture, it says that our rewards will be very different. In fact, Jonathan Edwards wrote a sermon on Romans 2.10, and I read it this week again, and it was a long sermon. I've done the homework for you, so let me read a portion of it. He says this, In heaven are many mansions and of different degrees of dignity. 
the glory of the saints above will be in some proportion to their eminency in holiness and good works here. Christ will reward all according to their works. Every vessel that is cast into the ocean of happiness is full, though there are some vessels far larger than others. Those who are not so high in glory as others will not envy uh, those who are higher, but they will have so great uh, and pure love to them that they will rejoice that they are happier than themselves so that instead of having a damp to their own happiness, it will only add to it. Isn't that so good? <laughs> that means you and I, when you get to heaven, we won't be jealous of the mansion and the greater glory that other people have because uh, God would root our envy, all of our sins out of our lives and every glory that we'll see will continue to dump glory to it and we'll be happy for it. And as we're happy for them, we're more happy for ourselves too. That'll be glorious. And at the same time, some of us will have a greater glory than others according to how we served here how you stewarded your life here. And in fact, Jesus wants you to be motivated by this. Now, is this the main motivation of Jesus? No, not at all. He is our motivation, not the stuff that he gives, but it is a biblical motivation, isn't it? In fact, he uses illustrations and emphatically he'll tell us, you know, you reap what you sow. You realize what you sow is nothing compared to what you reap. That's how Reaping works. Or he was saying a couple weeks ago, we talked about it. You know, whatever you leave here, whatever abandon you abandon for my name's sake, I will give you a hundredfold. Why do you think Jesus tells us that? Because he wants us to be motivated by those things. So here's a key principle I want you to write down. The reward, uh, uh, Jesus will reward those who are faithful. The reward of the heavenly harvest is greater than the cost of the earthly seeds planted. The reward of the heavenly harvest is far greater than the cost of the earthly seeds that you and I will plant. Um, I, I, and I guarantee you this, I don't know everything about heaven, but when we're, that day comes and the judgment seat we're, we're faced, there's not a single person that will say, darn it, I wish I would have invested less. There's not a single person that will ever say that. In fact, there'll be a plethora of people who will say, gosh, I wish I would have known then I would have invested more. This is the faithfulness of our king. But here's the third thing, the consequences. Jesus calls all of us to account. He calls all of us to account. Now, now let's consider the third servant here, verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. Man, you hear the attitude of this dude? Um, you hear the heart and heart of this individual accusing our king. And this is what we learn from the third servant. And here's a key principle. How you view Jesus determines how you live for Jesus in this life. How you view Jesus today determines how you're going to live your life. Because if you view Jesus as a taskmaster, then you'll end up like this third servant. But if you view Jesus as this gracious generous, glorious, holy, just king, then you'll be glad to be his servant. You'll be filled with joy to serve him. How you view Jesus today impacts everything, everything. And this servant basically says to the king, man, you're not worth my investment. And sadly, so many of us feel this way. The king is headed to Jerusalem, don't you know? To lay down his life 
on the cross for sinners like you and me. And then one day he'll raise, rise from the grave to defeat sin and death. And he will one day give us the eternal life. And until then, he gives us the power to do the king's business. And the question is, are you doing the king's business? Because he will return and he will reward those who are faithful incredibly handsomely is what he says. See, our master is not harsh. He is incredibly generous. Amen? Amen. Our God is so generous to us. And I pause here then to share some of my concerns that I have for some of us. Because the third servant knew the king, but he didn't love the king. And the servant was near the king, but yet didn't produce any fruit for the king. And so he is called here wicked. You realize why this parable is here? Because it warns us, for those of us who call out his name, think that we're part of the fellowship, think that we're serving him, but are not. And that means that they're, they're always around other believers, but they are still yet an unbeliever. And that's why the parable of the talent, you know, the close cousin of this one, I mean, there's the wicked servant who actually gets tossed at the end because they don't produce anything. They don't show any fruit because they don't love this master. And so he's thrown into a place of gnashing teeth and of great weeping. And so I'm not so naive as your pastor to believe that every person who thinks that they're believers today are. I'm not believing that. And because Jesus loves you so deeply, he tells you and he warns you. Now, don't see this as a threat because then you could get all private. Are you threatening me? By the way, you shouldn't say that to God. You know what I mean? Because he'll say, yup. <laughs> okay, but, but, but this is not even a threat by Jesus. Do you consider, like, say you have cancer and you go to the hospital and your doctor says you have cancer. You're like, Don't threaten me. Would you say that? No. What if a doctor told you, oh, no, you're fine, and you have cancer? Would that be a good doctor? No, it would be an evil doctor. It would be an evil doctor. And our Lord is so good. And he knows that we have cancer inside called sin. And unless we respond in his kindness, for us to enjoy his grace, his mercy, and receive him as our Lord Jesus in our life, if we don't do that, then he says, I give you a warning. I love you too much to not say this, or you will join this third servant and be called wicked. You see, in the kingdom of God, there's more, one, more than one way to be wicked. I think generally we think, you know, the only way you can be wicked is through the Ten Commandments, not obeying them, right? Like, you know, oh, I cheat, you know, uh, lying, maybe be having an adulterous relationship. That's wicked. But there's another way you can be wicked according to this passage. That is failing to invest your life in the kingdom of God. That's how you could be wicked. So you might strive to live morally. You might have memorized some Bible. Okay, you might have a fish emblem in the back of your car, whatever it is but you could still be considered wicked on judgment day according to this passage. Not because, listen, not because of your sins committed, but because of a God purpose that you omitted in your life, in your life. And the question is, have you been a good steward of God and all of his resources that he's given you for his kingdom? Are you ready right now to stand before God and give an account have you stewarded everything, your time, your talents, and your treasure? You feel good about that? You feel like, yes, I've offered my God everything. And if you're wondering what your portfolio looks like, just look at where you spend money and look at your calendar. Those two are great indicators 
of how you are invested, how you are stewarding everything that God has given you. Think about that. How much do you spend to advance the kingdom of God? How much do you serve to advance the kingdom of God? And lastly, the king turns his attentions to his enemies that reject his reign. Now, these people are outside. They're, they're part of the world, verse 27. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. My word. Now, you don't find this verse on a mug at your local Christian bookstore, huh? Like, you don't, you don't ever see that. Now, some of you might have the idea to get, you know, put one on and drink out of that every morning. <laughs> you see, some, some churches only preach the grace of God. Here at our church, we, we preach the totality of God, which includes the holiness of God and the judgment of God, because that makes his grace even sweeter. <laughs> Why would Jesus say that there is a lake of fire? Why would he preach about hell more than anybody in scripture? Why would he say that he's gonna slaughter people? Because it's true. But not only it's true, he went first. Remember right after this, he goes to Jerusalem and he became a lamb that was slaughtered. He was the one who was slaughtered on the cross, the lamb that was slain for us. He died in our place so that you and I don't have to ever fear judgment, that we can anticipate with great joy to say, Jesus, come back. I'm ready for you. I'm living with the anticipation that you will keep an account for my life, how I lived and how I served you with the one and only life that I have. C.T. Studd, that great athlete, that's a great name for an athlete. <laughs> Stud, come here. <laughs> he was an athlete that turned into a missionary. He said, if Jesus Christ be God and die for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Do you feel the same? So this parable asks us a question, and the question is this. What are we doing with what we have been given? Are you mindful of his return? Are you living faithfully, anticipating your heavenly reward? Are you ready to give an account? Let me just conclude like this. I'll give you a conclusion. Ready? Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. I'll leave you with the sermon that John Piper once preached about 25 years ago to 40,000 college young people. And I heard this and it changed my life forever. It, it literally changed my life forever. He said this, you know, three weeks ago, we got word that two of our church members have been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was 80, single her whole life, poured out her life for one thing, to make Jesus known among the unreached, the poor and the sick. Laura was a widow, a doctor, 80 years old, and they were together serving in Cameroon. Brakes failed and the car went over a cliff and they were both killed instantly. Now he asked the crowd, was that a tragedy? No, but let me tell you a real tragedy. Then he pulled out a page from a Reader's Digest and read, Bob and Penny took an early retirement from their jobs in their mid-50s. Now they live in Florida and cruise on their boat, play softball, and collect seashells. He said, that's the American dream, right? You come to the end of your one and only life and you meet your creator and the first words you offer him is, Lord, look at my seashells. And Piper says, now that's a tragedy. 
And yet people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. Today I'm here to plead with you, don't you dare buy it. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. And man, it just seems like everybody's living for the bucket list, you know? I can't wait to travel. I can't wait until I retire, this and that. But I would just ask you to consider your bucket list in light of the passage that we study today. Because if Jesus is coming back and he's coming to renew this world, then everything in this world that you love is going to be there in the future. And everything that you didn't get to do here in this world, you will in eternity in paradise will receive an abundance. That's a promise. And so, you know, I've never been to Tahiti. I hear that it's a beautiful place. And it's okay if I never get there because today's Tahiti is the cursed version. And one day I will stand in the shore of Tahiti in the most heavenly version possible. (laughs) It's true. I won't miss out. For those of you who don't have a home because you live in the Bay Area, you're living on mission, you're like, it's so expensive, but I refuse to move because I want to do mission here. For you, I believe that you will have a home. Your your minors will be turned into great fruit and that maybe perhaps you'll be a neighbor to Jonathan Edwards. Why? Because maybe you, again, it's not about the gifts. It's about your faithfulness. If you pour out, God will not cheat. He will not be miserly towards you. He will incredibly bless you. And so I've never been to Everest and one day and hope that I could climb. But if I don't, that's okay too. Why? Because one day I'll be climbing the heavenly version, not the cursed one. See, that's what is promised. Hey, Christians, my brothers and sisters in Christ, in all of our campuses, I just want to tell you there's only one thing that should be in our bucket list. One thing. Because the only thing that we won't get a better version then, the only thing that we cannot do there, that we can do now, is to share the glory of Jesus in a way to unbelievers who are destined for a place of gnashing and weeping. And and it's the only thing that we could do. And so if our bucket list is, I want to do the will of the Father. I want to do the will of the Father and that's it just like Jesus did, I believe because Jesus did, his fruit was us. And because we do it, his fruit, our fruit will be his glory in all these cities in the Bay Area and the world. And one day, you too will hear the greatest reward, which is your heavenly Father saying, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Receive your reward. Receive your reward. Let's pray together. Christ, we thank you that you were slaughtered for us. Thank you that your destination here on earth was Jerusalem, and there you will be pinned and nailed to the cross for our sins, and that you were treated as if we had lived your life. Oh, Christ, you are the generous, merciful one, and you are worthy of serving with all of our lives. Will you stir us up today and wake us up from our apathy for those of us who are kind of lazy affair walking about in this life, thinking that we're just going to get everything everybody else will get. 
Father, stir in us. You are deserving of far more allegiance and faithfulness than that. And that the promise of the reward will be also an added motivation to us to say, Lord, we want to just serve you faithfully because you'll never cheat us. And we know that you will bless us. Father, we anticipate great things in heaven. But until then, will you help us to be faithful now? We pray in the matchless name of our King, our Savior, who died for us on the cross. And all God's people said, amen. Let's give him glory, all of our campuses. Yes.